Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Hard-edged, hard-nosed, hard to beat. Where are you coming from in this one? Your 100% essential download. Jim White and Simon Jordan. You let this get out of control. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. I'm Sam Matterface and I was alongside Simon for today's show. We discussed Ange Postecoglou's comments on Harry Kane's future and whether he will stay or leave the club. I took aim at Wimbledon's explanation for why play on their show court only starts at one o'clock in the afternoon. And Simon responds to the claims of Anthony Joshua that nobody here at TalkSport, well, apart from Spencer Oliver, sticks up for him. Ange Postacoglu was uh, giving his uh, first uh, sort of media conference yesterday yep. and he was talking about Harry Kane. Um, I he suppose was... he had much bloody choice, did he? Well, I would, yeah, he, I would I, imagine that would have been the first question out of the gate. <laughs> yeah. Hello, Ange, how are you? Harry Kane. Uh, uh, right, do you know okay. what? Actually, it was, uh, I think it was third or fourth question. But, Blimey, uh, they're getting tardy, these journalists. But it was also fifth, sixth, seventh and eighth question as well, yeah. I think. And he did say, look, you know, ultimately, I know that this is not something that is going to be resolved by the time I meet him in two days' time. And I am going to have to answer questions about his future, probably for the rest of of the summer mm-hmm. um, but there is a big report today suggesting that uh, Tottenham are going to pay him £400,000 a week to stay if he signs a new contract yeah. is that a good investment? Well he's already getting £250,000 a week isn't he? Mm. So when we're in that territory I mean we are talking about again I have to qualify it because I can't, I can't resist the temptation not to qualify it that we are talking about obscene amounts of money for footballers in this day and age once I've laid that marker down let's move on okay. the bottom line is the replacement cost implications of Harry Kane against the potential sell value that you can get from him look if you can go and buy a player if you can get Harry Kane away for 150 million quid and bring another player in for 70, 80 million quid and pay him 250 grand a week the answer might be a different conundrum or a different outcome I think that they have made their case very clearly internally that they want Harry Kane to stay. There's no intention to sell him. The idea that because even if he doesn't sign a new contract in August, that somehow he's going to be out because there's a pre-contract situation in January, still at Tottenham Hotspur. And if the ground start, if they if they start very well, and Postecoglou builds a good relationship with him, and the team's going very well, they may get an opportunity to re- renegotiate with him in January. Unless someone is going to break Daniel Levy's arm off at the shoulder economically, I don't see the situation being that Harry Kane leaves Tottenham Hotspur this summer. Now the furore will be in other places. It'll be in the media. It won't be in the dressing room. It will be Postacoglu working, Postacoglu working with Harry Kane, and Harry Kane knowing that even if even if he doesn't get a move this summer, guess what he is next year? 
he's a free. So whatever whatever opportunities are out there for him will still probably exist, with the caveat that if he got injured this season, he'd have that risk profile of running his contract down to being a free agent. So he'll have options next year. So what we'll have is a media circus because that's what we do. The fact of the matter is, behind closed doors, Postacoglu will be working with Harry Kane. And if, and if, and if Daniel's decided to spin the wheel and economically make the decision that Harry Kane being at Tottenham Hotspur for another season and the risk of losing a transfer fee at the end of it is what he's prepared to make a, a commercial viewpoint on because he needs the side to be performing far better than it did last year and if they move up two or three spaces in the league and they get in the Champions League there's 50, 60, 70 million quid with probably trigger clauses in advertiser deals or shirt sponsorship deals that give you more revenue if you're in the Champions League so he may well just take that view and poor old Ange is going to have to sit there and answer these questions and I really just think they should shut them down it'll be what it'll be lads move on Uh, Ange's pretty uh, good at answering the questions though wasn't he yesterday and this is what he said he's going to tap into the psyche of uh, Harry Kane and try and learn from him I don't think it's my role to you know, sit there and, and sort of treat people in a manner because of their circumstances. I, I, I'm really big on just treating everyone the same. And Harry is, and, you know, he's, he's already entrenched himself in the history of this football club. He's a very important part. He's the premier striker, one of the premier strikers in the world. And, you know, I want him involved here. My conversation with, with him will be about how we can make this club successful. And I've got no doubt that that's, that's what he wants as well. Um, so... You know, within that context, whatever sort of um, that uh, narrows into, you know, the personal stuff around Harry himself as an individual, if the conversation takes it that way, we'll, we'll take it that way. But I, I doubt it's going to be, you know, defining in the manner that I think people think it's going to be. It's not going to be a conversation where, you know, we walk out of that room, we've got sort of an understanding, because I don't want that kind of conversation. What I want is to introduce myself to Harry, to give him a sort of vision for the football club, to get an understanding from him of what he thinks this football club needs to be successful. And we go on that training pitch and trying to make it happen. Um, he's going to ask uh, Harry Kane uh, what he thinks the club needs to make it successful. How would he know? How would Harry Kane know? Yeah, he hasn't been part of a successful Tottenham side, has he? So how would he know? I'll give you a few answers. Maybe turn up to one of the big games, Harry, when there's been opportunities for Tottenham Hotspur to have achieved things. The bottom line is, is that Harry Kane has been a constituent part, sorry, of a team that at times has snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. Are you saying that they don't need to rely so heavily on Harry Kane? I'm saying that it's a ridiculous premise to start the conversation with that that I'm going to ask Harry Kane how our club can be successful when the culture that he has been part of has been criticised heavily. And don't be under the illusion that Conte missed him in some of his observations privately either. Do you, do you think that actually they are uh, paying too much lip service to Harry Kane then? Is that what you say? I mean, this I is the guy no, who's the Tottenham's lip, record goal scorer. They're paying lip service to the media. They're not paying lip service. The, 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 there's two different conversations. There's a conversation that we have with the media and there's a conversation that they have privately. And the conversation they have privately, oh, two, like you'll see two different personalities when you have Jose Mourinho in front of the cameras and a completely different animal when he's not in front of the cameras. Mm. There's a completely different dynamic. What you do with the media as a football manager is prostitute yourself, give the media what they want to hear and then get on with the business of being serious about building a football team. Because unlike the expectation of the media, media don't make football teams. No. Football, football managers and football players do. And, and you're right about that sort of uh, charade that sort of comes down, that the mask that comes down during an interview. I mean, I, I've sat there with many a, a football manager, have a conversation on on air with the microphone on, and as soon as the microphone goes off, it's a, different it's a very different But that's why, you, that's why, that's why when you across. see people, right and wrong, you know, when Nigel Pearson lost his stack with a journalist, wasn't the cleverest thing he ever said, mm. but notwithstanding it, he said what he thought. When you see Ten Hag talking at times 
about the things that he really feels and and uh, on more to the point the things that he believes in but, and he does it more often than not but those people go actually, isn't that a refreshing thing to see but, but those two actually are a couple of the managers Pearson and, and Ten Hag where they don't really differ from the private conversation that you have with them but to that, the public conversation with them but that's precisely my point but also there is no there is no right answer answer for sections of the media there is no right answer the more, the more, the it's more. It's just you... about interest, isn't it? We want to know. We've got Fine. a thirst for knowledge and, because we're interested in Harry Kane. And, we're no, interested got, in the future got, of Tottenham. You've, no, you've got a thirst for content. You're not interested in the knowledge. You're interested in content. I'm you're interested not, in what happens. You to might be. Kane. You're a different animal. But there's lots of journalists that are only interested in sound bites and interested in clickbait and interested in creating sensationalised, hyperbole-based headlines. Really and truly, the bottom line is: is what's going to happen with Harry Kane is going to be determined by grown-ups in a different conversation, not by journalists creating a narrative around what should and shouldn't happen and what he should and shouldn't be entitled to and what and should shouldn't shouldn't be afforded. The bottom line is, Ange Postacoglu, if it was me as a football manager, I'd have none of it. Not one second of it from you lot. I'd be like, that's it, I'm not talking about Harry Kane anymore. Not having it. Not interested. I'm talking, Harry Kane is a component part of a football team. If he stays, he stays. We'll have a wonderful centre forward. If he goes, we'll build the football team. End of discussion. No more discussion. You keep asking the same question, I will get the press conference. The world's most dangerous download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. You're listening to Talk Sports, Sam Motherface and Simon Jordan here. Um, listen, I mentioned this on The Breakfast Show around about 9.45 this morning, but I was really surprised by some of the quotes that came out of the All England Club uh, yesterday. There's been a bit of controversy about the uh, the late start, late finishes, mm-hmm. the, the, the constant sort of waiting around for some of the bigger players. Novak Djokovic wasn't happy about the scheduling of some of his matches. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, the rain delays don't help those situations. Yeah. We've got over the hurdle of the middle Sunday, which is good, I think. You know, yep. We had a great middle Sunday this year, which was fantastic. And tradition is really important and you and I both sort of spoken about that even over the course of the last week but the idea that you cannot start play on the show courts before um, 1.30 or 1 o'clock or whatever um, in order to accommodate the better players seems mad to me I mean and, and the explanation from Sally Bolton yesterday was on, on, on bordering on laughable really she said over many many decades we've always started playing our show courts around the early afternoon that's very much about ensuring uh, the fact that people have the opportunity to get on court so as much as possibly is the case we have full courts for when the players walk on that's still absolutely our intention what, what you can't get in before one o'clock is it is it is there no way of getting into Wimbledon before one, one o'clock? They don't do trains there before. Um, and of course, the other thing is that we carefully have to think about the fact is that when people buy a ticket to come to Wimbledon, they want to experience a day at the championships. And that involves going out and seeing some play on the outside course, perhaps going to get something to eat, maybe getting some strawberries and cream. When we get the feedback from our fans on the grounds who come here, having bought a ticket, they want a very full day and they are a range of whole things that, that go into the decision to start what we do. It'll be part of our review at the end of the championships. We always take account of player feedback as well uh, from all the stakeholders and our guests. Yeah, I mean, listen, I get both sides of the argument. There is a reason that Wimbledon is the most prestigious of all the slams. Some would say because ultimately it's the one that started the whole thing off, and some would say it's because it's the it's the grass court version of it all. Yeah. I would say that it's a combination of all the different aspects. Um, given the fact that our contribution to most sports is to be the fire starter for them and to be the amplifier of sports, whether it's football, okay, you know, the first international game emanated in Scotland, but notwithstanding that, you know, cricket is home of cricket is Lords. The, the perceived home of tennis is Wimbledon. The most iconic stadium, arguably, in world football is Wembley Stadium. And all of these things are there for, for a reason. But if you take that for granted, 
and don't start moving forward you're not with the taking times. It for granted because what you're doing is looking at your audience. There's two two audiences, right? There's the audience that watch through the through the um, through the television, and there's the audience that that goes into the uh, yeah. into the environment. And the players need to remember that they're playing for an audience. And the uniqueness of Wimbledon means that there's certain... F- I, I mean, I'm not a part of the strawberries and cream crowd. I, I don't like it. Whenever I go to Wimbledon, I want to avoid that like the plague. Pims? No, I just want to go watch tennis. I don't yeah. want all that rubbish. I just want to go and watch tennis. And I actually quite like being on the outside courts because I think you get so close to the, pl- close to the players, you can really That's get That's one of the sense. major benefits. And I think you can meld the two, though, can't yeah. you? You can meld the two yeah, of being a little bit more accessible, fun, being I mean, progressive, I mean, Novak, Djokovic will, Novak Djokovic will find a way to moan about anything. And he'll find a way to have a go at the ATP about anything if he possibly can because he wants to have his own position within the confines of the construct of tennis. But the bottom line is is that we've the, the, the tournament has moved on from not playing middle Sundays, which I always thought was absurd. Mm. I, I think that was a tradition that needed to have been changed because it was making a situation worse in terms of scheduling. But we have we ever had, then, a Wimbledon tournament that doesn't finish when it should finish? A few exceptions where they've had to spin over to an extra Monday. But um, I remember I remember previous years when McEnroe played Connors in rain-strewn Wimbledon uh, tournaments in 84, and yet they managed to complete the schedule. This is a case of players... Is part and Jamie Murray had to play a doubles match and then a mixed doubles match 81 minutes apart. And... Well, that's quite taxing, I think. And doubles has this, has a far different connotation than singles, isn't it? It's far less court coverage. It, it, ab- so absolutely. It's far, I understand. I understand. It's not ideal. Absolutely, it's not ideal. But you know, it, we live in a less than ideal world, and sometimes waiting on a corner on the side of a train station for a train that's constantly cancelled by yeah, the ineffective. This, this, this is the top of the top, and you I just said it. it. This is the main is. main we slam. Have, and we have to, and people have to accept there's an ad- adaptation, and maybe the All England Club that are very big at being about spirit and the spirit of the game and, and holding the values of the tradition of Wimbledon might want to remember that when they start commenting on the way that they ban players from playing in tournaments and then allow them to come back in and get abused by crowds that they created to some extent. Well, hold on. OK, right, so here's another quote for you from yesterday from Sally Bolton, the chief executive of the All England Club. We've got no intention of doing that. This is when she was asked about umpires maybe warning crowds on the, the politics of post-match handshakes after the Victoria Azarenka and non-handshake on Sunday. Yeah. Um, we've got no intention of doing that. Historically in tennis, the decision of how a player reacts at the end of the match is entirely a personal decision for them and I don't think we really want to start mandating what happens. I think we've, be, we've got an incredibly knowledgeable audience at Wimbledon and I think in the most part they would understand what was going on. We should be focusing on the tennis and the match we saw, not on all the other stuff that went on. Is that just like burying your head in the sand? Well, I think in that instance it is. And it might be because I'm, I'm a little bit emotionally invested in, in, in Victoria and what happened to her on Sunday. But the fact of the matter is, and right or wrong, right, the Wimbledon were the only Grand Slam that decided last year to ban Belarusian and Russian athletes from playing at Wimbledon. Some people will say absolutely show they should, but all the other Grand Slams did not. So they took a political decision because they were lent upon by the government. So they created a narrative. They've now decided that they will let them back in. The circumstances are still the same as this time last year. There was still an illegal war going on in Ukraine, dreadful mm. things happening. So they decided to reverse out of a position that they created a temperature on. They knew what was coming down the pike. On one hand, they're talking about you know the tradition and values of the, of the tennis club. On the other hand, they're not talking about the reality of what is also simple a tennis match which is people meeting at net and shaking hands that's what you do that's so they, part of it they're quite they're, they're quite happy to uh, annoy Jovac Djokovic and some of the other players about some of the scheduling and the player welfare but when it comes to actually protecting someone like Victoria Azarenka or making sure that they're they're not subjected to the booze that she received over they're the wrong, weekend they, create, they won't come out and make a statement about wrong, it and it's not difficult so Ult- what do they care ultimate, about more ultimately it's, it, where's the hardship in suggesting 
that a part of the game, which is whether we agree with it or not, or whether we don't, it's a part of a tennis match, is that when you lose or win the game, you walk to the net, you shake someone's hand, exactly. the crowd receive it in a certain way. In in France, when the Ukrainian Svetlina didn't want to shake the hand of Sabalenka, the crowd went the other way. They booed Absolutely. Um, the Ukrainian for that particular So having of, seen that, why didn't you prepare for well, it? Well, that's my point. But then it does it does sort of steer into the narrative that you're advancing, which is that none of this seems to be centred on two, a significant component part, which is the players. Correct. So we've got two arguments going on here. One is that the players are being put at the back of the line as far as scheduling to uphold traditions. And the other is when Wimbledon changes the dynamic of something or allows something to manifest itself, knowing it's going to happen. Happen. It does nothing to protect the players from an adverse reaction from the fans. Yep. And that, and so basically what they're saying in all of this, and I'm kind of coming around to your way of thinking in this discussion, sod the players, right? They can come on court whenever we decide they can come exactly. on court. The athletes can be subjected to whatever the educated fans think they should listen to as long as, they're all in, as long as they all appreciate the privilege that they're in of playing and, at Wimbledon. And, and by the way, what do you think people are tuning yeah. in to watch? The strawberries and cream or yeah. the players playing tennis? Yeah, they're talking about two experiences. They're talking, they're, talking, they're talking about the dynamics of what goes on inside the, the, inside the uh, All England Club in terms of the on, on, on live, on uh, real-time experience that the fans that are going to the uh, uh, event are experiencing and the broadcast outcomes. But I do think that there is an element of stupidity, arrogance and an unthought through thinking in what this woman has said because if she looks at it from both anyone that dissects it as you have just done and, and sort of held me to account on is basically suggesting that the players in this are not being valued the way they are now there isn't there, again I go back to the qualification he is a bit of a one Djokovic in terms of what he thinks he's yeah. entitled to and what he thinks he's not entitled to and how he thinks the structure of tennis should be and there is a balance between allowing opinion that is influential and then allowing the lunatics to run the asylum and Wimbledon will pride itself. It will, it's like you. I remember, I remember back in the day, you used to go to Peter Langan's restaurant in in Mayfair, and the object of the aim was to see how rude Peter Langan could be, be to be to you. And there used to be a queue of people round the corner for, <laughs> for Peter Langan to be rude to, right? And it was the it was the it was the vogue of the day. And maybe there's an element of that with Wimbledon's attitude. The more arrogant, the more hoity-toity we are, the more that we uphold tradition, the more privileged you little grubby bunch of tennis players are to come and play in our tournament. <sighs> I don't know, but the bottom line is is that she's not smart in her outlook. Either she's not communicated it in a way that would manage this kind of conversation, or they simply just don't care and it wants to get on with it. Hard-edged, hard-nosed, hard to beat. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra. 
And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's TalkSport, it's Sam Matterface and Simon Jordan and ahead of the Anthony Joshua and Dillian White 2 fight live on TalkSport on August the 12th. Anthony Joshua and Eddie Hearn have spoken to our very own Spencer Oliver. Now we'll just keep it factual. One is just general haters and the second one is people who want me to do better and I love that. So it's just, it's what it is. But let's, let's be clear on what it is as well. There is uh, an attack Let's call it an attack on my name, especially on this TalkSport radio station. Yeah, there is definitely an attack on, on my name. But it's fine. It's fine. You know, in this industry, you have to have a thick skin. But it's good to talk about it. Like, that was just one example of many I could point out um, on how there's, like, parallel comparisons, but one gets dug out a lot more. Mm. Look, we go back to 2015. You two had an unbelievable fight. Like I yeah. say, it ended in a seventh-round victory for yourself. Fast forward now. You're both more mature. You're both more experienced. Yes. But I'm expecting the same sort of fight. I'm expecting the same sort of thing. I'll be wrong. As before. If it can end in seven rounds, that's easy work. Seven rounds is easy. Do you know what I'm saying? Like mm. seven rounds. What's that? Fifteen. What's that? Eighteen minutes of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, mate, that'll be brilliant. But this fight will be well, brilliant. Listen. Josh, I think this fight fights, starts fast. I think Dillian White recognises that this is a big opportunity for him. Yeah. Really, you didn't have to step up and, and take this fight. A lot of people see this as a high risk. Why was it you step, stepped up and took this fight where you could have gone another route, Deontay Wilder out in Saudi? Do you know what? I think every fighter is a risk. Every fighter, because it's like... Oh, with Deontay Wilder? Mm. No, I'm saying you, did, oh, you, would, you could have gone a different route and gone out. Gone to, out yeah, yeah. But you've decided... Do you know what? Like, let me give you another example. And let's, let's hold people accountable on this talk show now. Since people at this talk show don't like to do it. <laughs> so, I could have taken another route for sure. But I thought, why wait around? I've been waiting around a long time. I was supposed to fight uh, Fury a, a while ago in the summer. Then he had his arbitration. And I realise now... I'm not waiting, I can't be bothered, I'm not chasing, I can't be bothered. Reason being, look, when Fury said that he's training for Usyk, he's getting his fight planned for April 29th, he's ready, then Sugar Hill came out and said, nah, I ain't training Fury. What are you talking about? I'm with Lawrence O'Coley. Like, these are just waffle and waste time. So, I'm sure Wilder's keen to fight, but I wouldn't hold my breath. That was Anthony Joshua. Um, should we quickly dip into what Eddie Hearn had to say and then come back to both of them? Do we have to? Um, let's do it. Yeah. I'm glad I'm talking to you from TalkSport because mm. you're like our last line of defence with AJ. <laughs> you're the only one who's sticking the flag in the sand, you know, for him, your, your local boy. Yeah. And uh, I think it's a great fight. I think, I think it's what both guys need. I think it's what British boxing needs. I mean, let's be honest. You know, we, we haven't really seen a lot of big... British knights over the last 12, 18 months, you know, back, going back to maybe, I don't know, Brooke Khan and mm. we had Ben Eubank last year that faded away. So I think this is a great fight. Mm. Every time we went to an opponent for AJ pre Deontay Wilder, which is virtually agreed, he just weren't up for it. You know, it was like Walin, Caballero, you know, and he was just like, what about Dillian White? You know, that's a great fight. That's a fight I can get up for. 
And you know Dillian's going to be dangerous in this fight. Two guys that have everything um, on the line, mm. really. And I think it's going to be a very, very tense, tight, violent affair. Okay. Um, that's interesting. Just... <laughs> I mean, I thought I've just got to get this bit in first. Okay. It's interesting that he talks about the, the only person that defends him at Talk Sport is Spencer Oliver when Eddie is constantly trying to get on this show, begged and pleaded to come and do an interview on this show um, about the, the, the observations that I made about him. And he's now doing the same thing about coming on here to promote the white uh, AJ fight. So it's absolute nonsense. It's just a case of victimhood and redirection from some of the constructive observations that are made about fighters. And well, they don't like it. It's, it's quite interesting. They don't like it. Clearly the show's making an impact because it's being talked about by the, uh, the one of the biggest boxers in world boxing and the biggest promoter in world boxing right now. And the fact is... Well, I'll tell you why, is Sam, is because myself and Jim decided to have a boxing hour on Thursday which takes it beyond the boxing world into the mainstream media, gives it more attention than it gets on its own right and gets one, one, one and a half million listeners. listeners. So what they should but actually be saying is, it thank you very much, lads for coming on and allowing our sport to be promoted through your show. Which is what Rob said. He said, I'm afraid this shows, once again, how weak mentally AJ is. Tyson Fury gets stick, and rightly so. This doesn't impact him at all, hence why he's one of the best of his era. Same with Wilder, hence these guys are a level above AJ, I'm afraid. Thank God for TalkSport, or else we'd just have these YouTube channels who simply believe what they are told, don't challenge anyone, and feed yeah. the narrative of some of the promoters. Yeah, people like Coogan Kessis running around asking every single question that, that people want to, what people want to answer. You know, and then you get Matchroom's publicist... IFL being able to say precisely what they want. Look, let's be clear. Anthony Joshua has done wonderful, wonderful things for British boxing. In a high tide, all boats rise high, and he's been that high tide economically. He's not been held to any different standards than other people have. No, certainly not by me, if his accusation is about me or Jim or anyone else, whether it's Gareth A. Davis or whoever else he's taking a swipe at. All right? The bottom line is, is that all people have done is looked at his body of work and made observations about it. And they've looked at Fury's body of work and made observations about it. So when someone like me turns around and goes... I'll leave off that. You know. By the way, the same Dillian White that's now fighting uh, Anthony Joshua that Tyson Fury destroyed this time last year or a little bit earlier. When Tyson Fury puts in an inauspicious performance against Otto Wallin, gets criticised. When he fights a pup of a fight against Derek Chisora, he gets criticised. Now they're potentially talking about the Ngannou fight, gets told by people like me, Jesus Christ, why would the WBC champion of the world be fighting that particular fight? All of those criticisms. Right? But when someone says somebody that lost his heavyweight championship in the world to the Pillsbury Doughboy, then goes and loses to a cruiserweight, hang on a second, that's kind of not where we would expect Anthony Joshua to be. That's an unfair attack. Well, it's interesting. I mean, this, is, this is the former heavyweight champion of the world. He should not be getting a WBC belt, but he should be getting a whining BC belt. Because <laughs> it's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. He talks about haters and people who, who want me to do better. Like there that. are two people, he said there are two categories, haters and people that want me to do better. Now, forget the haters, because at the end of the day, you're never going to convert this. But I think all of us as British boxing fans, people who watch boxing on a regular basis... Yeah. Of course we want him to do better. Of course we do. Of course we want him to be a success. He, well, Jerome Franklin, the, the last fight that he had, is that right? He came yeah. on talking to us about the fact that he wanted, he, he had to knock him out. The narrative before the fight was, he's got, it's got to be a big knockout from Anthony Joshua. That to be fair, happen. To be fair, I don't think Anthony said that himself. I think that was said about him. He said him. he wanted a big performance, didn't well, he? He was he beating did. that and, up. And, 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 but the bottom line is the narrative that was spun around him, spun around by, by Eddie, spun around by everybody else, and to some extent spun around by... Uh, propositions like ours yeah. that there needed to be a reaction the, the Anthony Joshua express train was becoming derailed and it needed to be an example of him getting back to basics what the bleeding hell is critical about that nobody there are people I remember sitting in this conversation with me and Eddie Hearn over this stupid set, set to for an hour orchestrated by DAZN and, and talk sport to have this discussion about what I said about Eddie and people come off air and said or all the people like me said 
oh, Simon Jordan won that conversation. All the people that, like Eddie said, Eddie Hearn won that conversation. The bottom line is, if people don't like Anthony Joshua, they'll not like anything he does. And if they, do, if they don't like Tyson Fury, they'll not like anything else he does. But most people really in, in, in the but world never, of But the boxing, world of they're, they're so fragile, Sam. They get all bent out of shape and they all get their knickers in a twist and it's the worst thing in the world for someone like to me to collide with them because I couldn't give a monkeys what they think of me. I don't need their interviews. I don't need a relationship with Eddie Hearn. I couldn't care less if I never saw him again. I have no interest in, in prostituting myself so I say to these guys what other people won't want to say. Some people think I'm being disrespectful. No, I'm not. I'm just thinking, I don't care. I'm going to ask you a question. What's the point of blowing smoke at someone's backside? If you think the Jermaine Franklin fight wasn't good enough, from Anthony Joshua, why don't you say to him, geez, Anthony, I thought you were going to do a little bit more than that and keep out of range. He can then come back and say, well, hold on a second, you, blah, 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 blah. And then you've got a proper insightful conversation rather than this seeming necessity from all these sycophantic, saccharine nitwits in the YouTube world that sit in front of these people worried about their next interview. Ask these guys proper questions. They're supposed to be pugilists. They're supposed to be characters, substantial people that can push back against people that don't have informed views. Do you know it's what we nonsense. want? We and want. Anthony whining about talk sport agenda. Oh, for God's sakes, man. Yeah, exactly. For We've got God the live sakes. fight on the 12th of August. The reason for that is, is it's a great we fight. want to see a great fight between two British boxers. And actually, if Anthony Joshua does well, we'll be the first to sit there and say it was a terrific performance. We got very excited the night that he won live on Talk Sport against Vitaly Klitschko. That was here. We followed his career. But also, when you're the biggest guy in the room, you're going to get the most attention. There's only one thing worse than people talking about you. It's people not talking about you. Anthony, you've got an express train of you huge economic benefits that have come off the back of the positioning both of your ability to communicate through the media and also because of some of your achievements. With that comes people observing on you. Grow up. Be a man. Why would you pick out a particular platform that gives you an enormous audience, that gives the boxing world an enormous audience, and say, oh, the only person that sticks up for me is Spencer? And by the way, Spencer, no, you don't. Welcome to the Coliseum of Confrontation. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Please leave a review wherever you get your podcast. We'll be back tomorrow to bring you the best of the show. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.